Wow. I'll never drink another beer. Beer here. I'll take ten. Hello to all you juicy boys and goys, uh, and welcome to the first episode of the Canning Run podcast. Uh, my name is Tony. I'm Justin. I know nothing about beer. And I'm Tom, and also know nothing about beer. I think it's important that you notice right from the start that we know nothing about beer. We're um, not brewers. All of us don't work in the industry. Some of us have some industry experience. But we, what we have had is a lot of conversations about beer, shared a lot of beers, uh, had good times and bad times with beers, um, and overall just been a part of the culture for a while. So th- the goal of this podcast is that we're going to kind of examine beer culture and, and, and look at specific topics um, within that culture and kind of ask ourselves an essential question, which is when did things go wrong or, or did they go wrong? Um, ultimately, it's important to note that all of us are from New England, um, Massachusetts specifically, and it's going to really kind of make our lens very small. Um, but that's okay because we, you know, are lucky enough to live in a place where great beer is. Um, so just as a disclaimer, and we've already talked about it, we are not industry folk. We are not brewers. We are not geniuses. And we certainly don't know a lot. Um, but we know some, I guess. Yeah, we occasionally like to drink a beer. Exactly. All, all of what we're talking about is going to be uh, like through the lens of our friendship in this beer world that is kind of turned into a wild wild west since <laughs> since we've been in it i would i would say but yeah this is just our commentary it's our social commentary on a very social industry absolutely okay well speaking of fucking new england the new england ipa let's talk about it okay <laughs> juicy Hazy. Sweet. Hops. Sweet. <laughs> Heartburn. Indigestion. Sweet. Other words for the IPA. There's so many. Um, sweet comes to mind for sure. Uh, juice with J and then ten O's ended with an S also. You know. Yeah. Lots That's of references to word. fruit. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tasting notes of guava, pineapple, peach underripe melon because we all know what that tastes like yeah because we all go to the supermarket and buy melons that aren't ripe because we are complete morons we like to punish ourselves so we eat unripe fruit (laughs) yes it's like fruit is good when it's sweet and when it's unripe it is disgusting so yeah i saw a an instagram ad for a watermelon and how you know, what's ripe and what's not. And I actually use that to find the unripe melons. So I can give that a try and compare it to uh, the beer, beer styles, you know? Yeah. Yes. I mean, multi- many of us have worked in a produce department of the supermarket uh, <laughs> oh, yes. and, and can give you some insight and how to find that perfect melon. If you want. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you have more produce experience than beer experience. <laughs> yeah. We have a lot more produce experience than beer experience for sure. Uh, which is why this podcast is actually called uh, Fruit Boys. 
No. But yeah, I think that gives us a unique perspective, though, because working at a grocery store, like, you know, you get to try star fruit, guava, uh, name other fruits from other countries, because that was my, where my list stopped. Uh, uh, jackfruit. <laughs> yeah, jackfruit. That's another one that people love to use. But that, uh, you know, all of these terms that are in beer, like, I've never eaten a guava in my whole life. But yeah, every, every time I go to a brewery, the beer something is like, has guava. Yeah, some, there's something going on with guava. But um, before, I think before we even start talking about, like, fruit adjuncts in beer, we should kind of go over the inception of the style. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, how it all kind of came together, which I think through all of our research and everyone else's research in America, you can really kind of boil it down to the alchemist and Eddie Topper. And it's an important beer. I wanted to ask you guys, cause I actually watched this video on YouTube where some guy said that he does not agree that it's the first because of how different it is from real juice boy IPAs. It, it has a little bit of more bitterness, but it's also, you have to think about that. It, that was the first one. So yes. he, he basically, you know, if you're trying to make a New England IPA now, you know what you're trying to do. He just, uh, John Kimmich, 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 just basically. Either, either or. Right. He basically just, like, came up with the style on his own and started this whole thing on a whim. This whole, this whole craziness that we're living through. Yeah, well, it was, well, the, Greg Noonan, who was the guy he worked with um, initially, also helped. I, I, th- I feel like he's the granddaddy of, like, of this all, but doesn't get the recognition Fair because he, he's, he's the one who kind of like created this yeast strain, which is what really makes New England IP. It's different from like, you know, the, the, the standard um, India pale ale. So I, I feel like in a way, like those two collaborating together were ultimately what, what made Hetty Topper reality. But it's interesting that you say that you watched a video of, of a guy cl- tr- trying to say that, you know, comparing, in, in my in my opinion, it's almost apples to oranges now. Like the 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 New England IPA of today in twenty twenty versus the versus the Heady Topper in two thousand three. Yeah, there's seventeen years of variance. Well, I thought the guy made a great point because, like, I mean, I haven't had a Heady Topper in a while, but it definitely does not taste like anything. Like New England IPAs are a dime a dozen now, and like you could get two completely different IPAs from different brewers. And you might not be able to distinguish them because of like how uh, saturated the whole style has become. And but before I forget who this who this guy was who made this point, it's a YouTube channel. It's called Darwin's Beer Reviews, and the guy's pretty good. They're quick videos, uh, highly recommended. Similar, just talking about that evolution over the last seventeen years. And, and you know, I was uh, eleven. When in 03 when Hetty Topper came out, so can't say I tried it, tried batch one by any means. Um, but you know, really, when at least when I got into craft beer, it, it was kind of the emergence of the New England IPA, and Hetty Topper was, was, I mean, still is a big deal, his, the historical significance in the beer community, at least. Um, but really seeing that shift, like I've seen it's changed immensely in the last four years three years even you know less at times and um how it might not even be considered a new england ipa anymore than really what is a new england ipa right outside of just hop burn <laughs> that's and an essential question 
Yeah, and, and John Kimmich, even himself. What is it? <laughs> he even said himself that he does not consider Hedy Topper a New England IPA. He calls it a Vermont-style IPA, which, I mean, I think, you know, he kind of has that right to do that because he created the damn thing. I mean, but, if we're, if we're going to talk about, like, how all this happened, like, it's really important to remember that, and this is something I didn't even know until we started looking into this, that that same yeast strain that was used to produce Hedy Topper was then taken over to Sean Hill over at Hill Farmstead. That's insane. Which... <laughs> Yeah, in, in one of these in one of these articles, John Kimmich says that he sometimes he suspects that people are taking the yeast from the bottom of the heady topper can and trying to propagate it to like use at their own breweries. And he says that he'll taste a beer every now and then, and he'll basically know that they used yeast from his can because he says that the yeast that settles to the bottom is like is like inferior yeast. Like of all the yeast you want to use in the beer, it's not that. So he says there's like this distinct flavor that he can sense. And if that's true, that's pretty amazing. That is amazing. And, and honestly, I, I wouldn't put it past some folks. Oh, right. Not at all. You know, I mean, if, with all if, the breweries popping up now and all being inspired by, you know, especially in this area, Hetty Toppers, a monumental beer. And with the craft breweries popping up on every corner, I mean, how many breweries are there in boston just outside of boston portland um really and everybody is idolizing that the og the original uh heady topper so you know any little bit of competitive advantage to get or what they think is competitive advantage using the bad yeast you know what a giant like cheapening of your brand if if you're taking yeast that's that's literally sediment in the bottom of a can you know, and, and, and when we're talking about like the brewing process, like he is right. That is very inferior yeast. You know what I'm saying? Because it's, it's been far away from that live state. And the fact that it can be re, you know, reignited is, is amazing. But like, imagine starting either starting a brewery or like having a brewery. And then one night having this drunken idea, Hey, we're going to, we're going to take the, we're going to take the, the beer, the, the stuff in the bottom of the heady topper can, and I'm going to make a beer with it. You know, like, I get it. You like want to be like the, as Tom said, the OG, but like, that's such like a cheapening of your product because you're already starting with an inferior yeast strain. And then all, I guess what you're going to do is you're just going to dry hop the fuck out of it. Right. I I just keep going back to the fact that like, it's all of this is basically a happy accident. Like, like Hetty Topper before, I mean, I mean uh, the alchemist before Hetty Topper, you know, he was, more or less like any other brewer trying to make a variety of styles, like trying to, to fuel his, his group, his gastro pub with, with good beer and good food. And then you know, they had some sort of like flood that basically clicked that brew pub out of business. Mm-hmm. And his wife basically pushed him to solely brew Hetty Topper because of, she must've seen the potential in it. Unlike he did. So, and, and then between that and, just the whole idea of the beer itself at the time, which is like unorthodox having like the, it's not filtered. It's focusing on bringing you like these dank flavors that the fact that he wanted it to taste like good weed. That's absolutely, <laughs> it's just, everything is crazy. And, and the, the that, fact that that has led to all these stouts, all these sours. And, Cause I mean, the IPA is like the definitive style of the last 10 years. 
I, I think it changed the palate for sure of American drinkers. Yeah, absolutely. That and another thing he said that really uh, kind of blew my mind and totally makes sense, but never really, I never thought about it is that haze is not the goal. The right. goal is, you know, well, apparently some really dank weed flavor, um, <laughs> but, but you know, in haze originally wasn't the goal. It's, it's, you know, a side effect of it, of course, because um, when, you know, all the flavors you get from, from dry hopping and all that, hop particles and everything like it, it creates that haziness which is uh you know identified above the flavor these days but um kind of an interesting aspect that like nobody really thinks about i think you know you look at a beer and you think oh yeah that's really hazy like it's gonna taste great and then it's just like it just singes your esophagus on the way down with the amount of hops <laughs> in there which is the complete opposite of of like total uh, the, opposite the kimmich's reactions to their beers like way back then which you know i'm only reading about secondhand but but like you can imagine creating this amazingly like flavorful delicious beer yeah refreshing beer but it doesn't it just doesn't look the part i mean it's like literally like like beer discrimination based on how it looks you know what i mean like like it's crazy and well that's that was the mindset of the time because like that that was thought to be like a, a, a faux pas in your brewing practice if you didn't know how to like you know, use, make, make your beers crystal clear. Like that was just a part of it. And, and you wanted to have all that hop flavor, but you didn't want to have any of that, you know, that cloudiness in your beer. So I, it's, it's interesting you guys bring that up because that, that was like a, a huge, a huge shift, like not only a huge shift in the, in the, in the flavor palette of Americans that we were, that we were talking about, but also like a shift in like how people, like when a beer was put down, if you can't see through it, that's okay. Right. And that's everything today. I mean, that's half, that's half of what all these newcomers like to the beer space are looking at is like, and it is captivating when you see a a glass that is just bright orange sitting in sunlight. Like there is something beautiful about that, that you don't get from a clear beer, which sounds really, really stupid, but it's true. It's amazing though, that we've gone not, not in all um, situations, but there's, there's a section of the population of the craft beer industry that's gone like, far the other way and if you can if you can see through it then that's a problem like you get an ipa and if if it's not if you can see your hand on the other side then they're like no not i can't drink that there's not enough hops you know it's not good enough and and i think that's like collectively our problem is the fact that like like the culture latches onto these things so strongly that there's like the like beer is one of these things where there's a, a million different styles, a million different executions, and and people latch on to like, oh, I want the hazy beer. I want the hazy one. If it's not, if yeah. I can, like you said, if I can, if I can see my hand, I don't want it. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But the craziest thing about that notion is is how it shifted into those other styles. You know what I'm saying? Like like people will brew a pilsner now, and it will be like kind of like a hazy pilsner. Yes. <sighs> it's like what 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 are we doing? What are we doing? But that's, don't that's we the question? What the fuck are we doing? But don't we kind of? Li- I kind of like that though. Like after the uh, like, I, mean, I reading- like the mouthfeel. <laughs> if I'm going to be a douche and use the word mouthfeel, yeah, like yeah. I like that like soft pillowy nature, pillowy right, on the tongue that you get from like all of that shit just circulating around. I love it, but I don't know. It, it's like I feel like I've turned into like an adult recently, where like I'm like a purist <laughs> of like a kosh needs to be fucking. 
this gravity with this much. And I, and I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a purist when it comes to style. But with that being said, it's like that you're the kind of person that would have shit on the, the hazy beer back in 2002. Yeah. <laughs> I did not I know, necessarily. You were like, but I would have been because <laughs> to me now, if I were to go back in time, twelve years, I would have been a the douche. Yeah, I would have been. But like, I think this is why. This is why we need to acknowledge that the New England IPA is a beer. It's a style of beer because it it's is. it's totally different. So you know, if you want to have a pilsner with you know dry hop pilsner, that's fine. But like. New I guess we'll call it a New England Pilsner. I don't know. Yeah. Or wherever the hell it started. Probably New England because we like to, you know, but it everything. So. But styles only get born when they're transcendently good. Like That's if, true. If New England IPAs were shit, it would not be, it would not be on like the brew, the brewmaster's guild, like brew styles of all time. Like, no. If, if, if New England IPAs were shit, I don't think any of us would be sitting here right now because pretty much all of our formations and our dive some of us deep dive into this culture has been because of, you know, basically treehouse beers. hundred <laughs> percent. None, none of us are sitting here without the hazy IPA. Like no. that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's so like, it's like literally like trans it transformed an entire industry. This one fucking guy's desire for a beer that tastes like weed has created like this multi-billion dollar thing. I love how you keep coming back to that. You're like, this guy was like a pretty cool hippie back in the day, but like he just wanted some dankness in, you know, in his, in his puff puff, but also in his glove glove, his brew, his drink drink. It's so beautiful. I think it is kind of beautiful. I I think it's beautiful to see where inspiration comes from and how that inspiration transcended into like this, like, you know, kind of a revolutionary thing for, for beer purists, for the beer industry in general. It's made the culture explode in many ways. Right. And I mean, like, uh, not to, this is long overdue, but I'm going to crack my, my, uh, my Aeronaut beer and it has Citra and Galaxy in it, which didn't even exist. Like when oh. the New England IPA was created. Unbelievable we, to think about that. Literally hops are created for this one style. Nuts. It's, it's incredible to me that, you know, and, and most of us got in the scene in late 2015, you know, a really, got into this in 2016 okay mm-hmm. so we're exposing ourselves here here for how much time we've really been involved but like think of it this way mosaic which many of us love okay didn't exist until 2012 <laughs> that means that means four years later or th- three to four years later when we when we started drinking these beers and and pretty exclusively for a while mosaic was you know a, a, a hop for all, for a lot of these uh, New England IPAs, like it's just incredible to think that when we got into the game, Mosaic was just such a new thing, right? So young. I mean, I just think it's cra- it's crazy that one moment in time can influence so many different things. And I know I keep going back to that, but it is like the more you read about it, the it's like it's insane. You can't really. Like, it's almost like a fucking computer in, like, the 80s. If you were there when the computer was invented, you would have no idea the implications. But, like, and I know we're talking computers and beer. Beer is a little simpler. It's not as revolutionary. But as far as transforming an industry into just billions of dollars, I think you have to give the, the New England IPA a lot of credit. 
it's uh and i think one major thing in that you know the evolution and really i don't know what year it really took off in terms of you know i like to think it's 2015 16 because that's when you know we got involved but that's when everybody got involved so i guess that's when you can kind of say it started to take off i'm sure you know there's always people before and after but really what perpetuated a lot of this crazy growth and expansion is just fomo culture which is kind of hilarious you had one guy who wanted to brew a beer that tasted like weed and a bunch of people that had fomo over it and now you have this that's a great segue though because think about like fear of missing out is heightened when something is limited and does not last forever which a new england ipa stays fresh for what a month maybe and then yeah and then obviously exactly. only, yeah and they're only depending, brewing on, so much depending on who depending on who brews it for sure yeah right. but it's, it's interesting because like fast forward to now fast forward to 2017 even fomo from i would say 2016 to now has like fueled not just the craft beer culture but but like society in general the, the subcultures of craft beer which is like trading and and oh like and line culture which is now a thing yeah. and and like and and the fact that like a, a brewery like other half can can make like over a hundred different ipas yeah. all with different like hops a lot of things interweaving but like you know we're gonna do we're gonna do our normal then we're gonna do our double dry hop then we're gonna do our triple dry hop and they're all technically different beers. So all of those fanboys, all of those neck beards need to go and wait in that line <laughs> so that they can get that beer because if they can't get that beer, then they can't drink it. And if they can't drink it and share with their friends and they can't put it on their untapped profile, and then if they can't put it on their untapped profile, then their other friends who they didn't invite to the share won't know that they drank it, which means did you really drink it at all? And right. did you even enjoy it? I mean, no. You may as well have just open that can up and pour it right down the drain if you're not going to post about it on Untapped. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Does the beer even exist if Plus, it's not I mean, Untapped? I mean, what is like when you meet someone? How do you decide how much to respect them? You pretty much ask them how many beers you've logged on Untapped. How many uniques do you have? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uniques. There you go. And um, as soon as they, as soon as they, you know, tell you that they don't have more than a hundred, you instantly either kill them or decide not to be <laughs> friends with them. But no, but in all seriousness, like, like the, the IPA has driven like those numbers to skyrocket. Like, like you couldn't try 60 beers from one brewer if they weren't having, like you just said, like, like one beer that's been dry hopped four different ways that are technically four different beers. Yeah. Like, and I just, mean, and when you get, to, it's so funny also and Tony, like you had said, how other half comes out with all these beers. I mean, it's all of them. It's not just other half. Of course. Oh yeah. So but, uh, sorry. Other half. If you're upset yeah. about that, Treehouse I mean, does it too. Trillium does it too. Uh, Monkfish does it as well. Literally every fucking brewery who brews with intensity uh, for the new England IPA style does it. And yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy. Cause it's just like, that's the, that's the way of staying relevant because there's still this massive culture, even though like we've, we've kind of dropped out of that needing to uh, get every, every, like, you know, when you, when you're on the curiosity series at Treehouse and you've had like 25 in a row, 
And then all of a sudden something happens. I forget what it was. And you can't have curiosity 49 because there was a canning run malfunction or something. Why do you remember Once, the exact one? Because I remember, you know, uh, <laughs> it was 49 though, right? I don't even remember it what happened. It was 49. Um, but I, I remember not being able to get it. And I was thinking I've had from 27 to through 48 now. And it was a big deal if we missed it. And, you know, I think that was kind of a liberating moment for me personally, because, yeah. uh, drinking all of these it, it's funny because in i don't know how true this is but when someone said that treehouse was just brewing all these curiosities to try to find the recipe for king julius because they had <laughs> somehow it. lost it or forgotten <laughs> After it they moved breweries what's crazy is i remember we opened a can at a share and it was it was a curiosity and it was unbelievable two weeks later they came out with King Julius and it tasted exactly like it. So, you know, and that's I'm not the, the, saying, but that's that the that's thing though. Did. That's the thing though. There's like, so when you, when it comes down to it, like a, a well-made, okay. New England IPA and, and they, and, and they seem to be a diamond in the rough nowadays. Um, yeah, really like, like hopped with the right saturation, like done the right way, you know, brewed with excellence. When you run into those, those flavor profiles really are kind of limited, especially if you're having like specific, you know, hops um, within them. So I get what you're saying and it was a good conspiracy, but yeah, it was fun. It'll have to remain a conspiracy until, you know, Nate comes on and it's like, you know, guys, like I really was experimenting through the curiosity, but he'll never do it because he wants to keep that. He wants to keep those conversations alive because then his brewery is relevant. You'll still come and wait in line. Even, even in your car during a uh, global pandemic, you know, like they sell out of beer still. Not really. They don't actually sell out of beer, but like they sell out of their like tickets per day. That's insane to me. Yeah. It is. And, 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 and it's funny you guys talk about FOMO, FOMO culture and like wanting to like, to like, you know, beat your chest with your number. When we were talking about this, I was literally going onto my phone and open my untapped profile to like, see how many treehouse beers I, I had <laughs> as an example for the podcast when really it was just me like, Tuesday Mountain Bam Horns. So, but I and, mean, let them uh, know. Let them all know. Yeah, I don't want to know. It's my secret now. <laughs> but it also adds like some legitimacy. Like I don't want people to think that like. I'm looking just, it up. Go, hold on. Like we've, we're just we've all spent an excessive amount of time and money on craft beer. This yeah, is, like this is a thing that, and if it weren't for social distancing, we'd still be doing these shares and you know laughing at beers every you know and, and enjoying a lot of them still. But you know, it's not like like we have had a lot of beer. Yes. And we, I, we, we drink beer, guys. Right. Yeah, you know, oh, we're not just doing this I podcast had for shits. <clears throat> 175 Treehouse Brewing Company beers. Wow. That's impressive. Kind of gross. That is pro- I probably top out at around like 80. And, and I would say 70 of those are from you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, the majority. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, thank and you, Tony. I did a lot of line waiting. Um, and, and it was worth it then. It's still worth it now because we have fun. It's in, you know, kind of going on about that beer culture and the, the FOMO culture. I mean, um, and you know, everybody's victim to it. You you might not realize you're victim to it, but there's one, there's another moment that, that sticks out for me for the, on the FOMO side that um, I think it was doppelganger um, or maybe it was doppelganger, the doppelganger. Uh, and, and that was a huge deal when Treehouse came out with it. I think it was 2018 or something. And I, I think, Tony, you might have had to trade for it. And then, you know, the, the day 
came when you finally got it and we sat down to drink it and it was mediocre at best because it had been, you know, sitting for a month and we all acted like it was the best beer we've ever had until the next time they came out with it. And we're like, yeah, I never really liked this beer. So, you know, even yeah. lying to each other's face about how we feel about a beer. <laughs> what, does that just say? Because- what, what does that say about us though? That we like have to like, when we get this thing, right? This like, you know, quote unquote whale, okay. That we acquire, okay. Something big, something new. Why must we lie? Why must we all sit together and be like, you know, that's good. It's part, it's, it's part of the experience. It's like, it's like that. And I'm going to say this knowing that for some people it might not be true, but like that whole feeling of, of FOMO, like that's part of the experience, like getting a beer that you FOMO'd into buying is going to make that beer literally taste better to you unless it's absolute trash because, because it's a build up. It's a buildup though. Also that mystical right. feeling of, of treehouse in particular, you know, especially when they were in months and you drive out in the middle of nowhere and you know, you wait in line in your car to get a spot in the parking lot if it's a release day. And then if you're lucky, you have like a 45 minute wait, but it can be over two hours. You go yeah. through so much. It's like, you have to take a day off of work and yeah. you have this beer and you can't, you can't tell, you can't admit to yourself that it's not that good. Granted, most treehouse beers are excellent so yes you, you know, said something which i think we need to t- we need to talk about take a day off work oh i feel do. like and, and and i need to preface this by saying that during my heyday of drinking and going to munson and waiting in line okay in 2016 2017 i was a student okay so i didn't have a job except to be a student and most of my classes were on specific days so i could go out and wait in these lines you know thanks to my parents who supported me and during that period, but like I would see the same dudes Every and the day. same dudes would bring their same mothers and their same <laughs> grandmothers every time. And they'd be calling other people being like, what do you need? And then they'd be calling their mom being like, I need you to bring your friend from cribbage because <laughs> I need a double I need allotment. Triple, I need triple allotment. Uh, I'm nailing down some trades for monkish and I, so, I need two cans. I need two cans of juice machine. Do these folks actually work? That's the question. That's the question I asked myself. That's the question I heard other people asking. That's the question I've heard you guys talk about. It, it definitely. And, and, you know, working in the industry for a limited time, not on the brewing side, but um, in seeing that and, you know, walking through a tap room and people are, people are working in the tap room to start, you know, pounding a 10% IPA. Um, but also I see the same, pe- I would see the same people day after day they just I, I don't know if they were would work from home and just go to their local brewery and and pound some beers or maybe it is that you know the the brewery's coming out with the you know 10th version of the same IPA for the you know third week in a row and you just can't miss it because god forbid you miss a curiosity on untapped yeah. i just no no you no no I was I was going to say, and God forbid, you know, you miss the availability to put the date you had that beer on your untapped because it's different than the original. <laughs> I still, I just keep going back to the fact that your grandma is waiting in line at Treehouse right now because John Kimmich wanted a beer that tasted like weed. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely crazy. <laughs> 
I've I've brought my I brought my mom and sister there. Like, I mean, my sister yeah. was home on vacation, but like, mom, I, I need some beer. You gotta, I guess we're just being negative, and we need to like thank him for bringing family yeah. together. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't. I think it is nuts. Like it is absolutely nuts. Just like any other industry is nuts. Like any, everything that you love, you can find something that you hate about it. But I mean, to me, it's just crazy that the craft beer industry, because of all this craziness can like support tons of people as whether they're brewers or people working in the tap room, people working on the canning lines, the, the graphic designers, marketers, like it's, it is supporting so many people. And I think that's very cool. And, and unique. Like, I don't think wine, wine's not like that. Like wineries probably don't make half as much as these breweries do. It's uh, it, it is crazy yeah, though in, in terms of how really how much good the breweries have done and uh, you know, not just boosted their um, the beer scene, but also the food scene in, in conjunction with that. And, you know, all the craft beer bars and really it has generated so much, growth for a lot more than just you know the the juice boys so yes you're yeah what, uh, what about the negative side you know like like breweries putting out inferior beers that they know are inferior or or treating employees like absolute garbage or yeah we, we hear about these things they one of them comes up once a year and then and then all the brewer all the other breweries like put a post on instagram like you know shame about that and then we move on and, and it happens you know it's and I yeah. guess there's a, there's a good and a bad to everything. You, you right. know, like there can, there, there has to be an equilibrium. But Bad apples everywhere. And no matter where you are. But, um, I forget what I was going to say, but, but a little, little, uh, pause since we're like, we blasted through that first 35 minutes. Um, should we start talking about like the use of hops and adjuncts or should we just keep freewheeling? Uh, one more thing just about the, um, you know, I forget exactly what you just said, Tony. Uh, but you know, I think it kind of the bad and also, but I think that's kind of brings up the question of did it go wrong? And if so, where and when did it go wrong? And, you know, I think, you know, I think there was kind of this sense and everybody wants to, everybody that likes beer wants to get into the, the beer industry in one way or another and willing to take um, pay cuts, work a different job um, really. And I think that's kind of built into that FOMO culture in, in one sense, but also people just want to be a part of something that they, they love. And, and status. They want that status of working yeah. at that cool place, you know, like, like the people who work at Treehouse, they look, they look jazzed all the time. And you know, I think, to a to a certain extent, a lot, a lot of breweries did take advantage of that, and it became this competition of, um, you know, what one brewery does, their competitor also has to do. You know, Trillium buys a farm, Treehouse has to buy a farm, and yeah. they, you know, kind of all build off each other like that, and it becomes about ego, and not as much about what really the whole purpose that we all thought it was, was, you know, bringing people together and enjoying, you know, a, a hazy dank IPA. And it kind of goes from that to this more, you know, kind of more political topic of um, really what, what it's becoming as a, as a business, because, you know, 
and that's where the darkness from, and that's where the darkness comes from because it's not only the ego, but it's like it's those profit margins. Yeah, you know what I'm saying where do we where do we hash so we can make more? You know, uh, right? That's where that we're not going to dump, you know, uh, uh, 200 barrels of this beer because we would lose this amount of money versus what it means to put out a product that's inferior to like our mission. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And this would yeah. be at a very high level for like a brewery that's making that much beer. Um, but, and that's the question, like, like, d- w- did we go wrong? Where did it go wrong? And I think if you're going to ask that question, the answer could be yes for the reasons you're talking about. And I think it's actually a great segue into uh, Justin, what you were just saying about adjuncts and because in the quality and similar to that, you know, not, what you just said, Tony, not dumping beer, but, um, you know, maybe rebranding it. Re- exactly. Rebranding it. And, you know, like I, I'm, to, I'm sure we've all had a beer that's, you know, from any of the best breweries in this area and it's off sometimes and you just know it's off and, and that's okay in all honesty, in one sense, but don't lie to me and tell me it's a new beer and pretend it's this new special thing just to get me to wait in line and buy it also. Well, I think Treehouse is the perfect example of this. Like, you know, uh, a few years back when they moved to Charlton, when they moved from Munson to Charlton, right? Huge, huge change. And there's going to be differences. There's differences in your water. There's differences in your elevation. All these things you need to like get right. And obviously there's going to be growing pains. So I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to say the Treehouse made shitty inferior beer when they were going through those learning pains of, of getting into their new brew system, which is huge and different, especially if you spent time in Munson where it was, it was a big deal in Munson to like moving to Charlton where it was like, Oh wow, this is, this is a huge, hugely capable brew house. And like, to me, the the perfect example of what you're talking about, especially with adjuncts is that, you know, that there was variance, like you'd go and you'd have a Julius from like, the first mm-hmm. batch they had versus a month later versus six months after that. Like, and sometimes they were wicked good. And other times they were like, mm, not so much. And that's the growing pains. But what they started doing and what's interesting about this conversation is that for adjuncts, they would be like Julius with peach, you know, um, uh, green with guava, you know, like they were taking these adjuncts, these like fruit, this like fruit juice, this fruit extract and putting it into their beers to enhance the flavors. And when you have one, you're like, Damn, because it's it delicious. works. Because it works. it's juice. Yeah. It's literally and not like hazy hot <laughs> yes. juice. It's yeah, literal juice from a fruit. Like, and that's you know, and actually, you know, I kind of take back what I said about. Let me actually at least clarify what I meant by like, if you release something inferior, that's okay. And, and I do believe that you know, I nobody's nobody's perfect. No brewery's perfect except for Hill Farmstead. <laughs> just have to say that Don Hill is absolute perfection all the time. Really I've never had variants. I've never been let down. It's, I heard that the head brewer there invented the word mouthfeel. So take it. You, you heard it here first. <laughs> so, Thanks, Sean. Um, you know, and I think there's a crowd that's willing to, of course, accept that, um, the differences and of course the growing pains, of course the growing pains, because really at that, it makes it easier for all this, for us all to get treehouse. but it's the lying to our faces. That's kind of, Oh, this is an inferior batch. And I don't know if treehouse does this, but you know, Oh, this is inferior. Let's put, let's put 
pineapple juice in it or mango puree. And you know what? More people are going to line up for that poorly brewed beer than they would for, you know, a normal IPA that they've had before. It's, it's a good question because there was a period of time where, again, we're going back to the rumor mills. So take it with a grain of salt, folks. It's a rumor uh, that, you know, with certain batch variants for green, it could either be a green, a go-go green, or a very green. And that, that you know, if, if they went to brew a very green and it was like slightly less good, it would be a go-go. And if it was, you know, inferior for a very green, it would just be labeled a green and they would move on with their lives. It's... um. It's a very interesting premise. And again, a lot of these things come out through the rumor mill. Just It's, it's hearsay because we don't know if it's actually true. And if we knew anyone who actually worked at the brewery and asked them, they probably wouldn't tell us. Yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> it's really important to know um, <laughs> that, that it is a rumor, but it's interesting, you know, and it, and it talks about this variance and it talks about, you know, brewer, brewery's willingness to put it out. And I understand you know, if you're a small brewery, especially if you put out something that's real shit that you're just going to pour it out. And I mean, maybe not, maybe like rebrand it because you have to, because your project profit margins are so small. But if you're right. someone, a freaking giant like Treehouse who pulls in a lot, I'd say they pull in a decent amount of money. Oh yeah. <laughs> they can probably let a, 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 a really hot burning, like resinous, like not so greatly brewed beer, you know, go, but they don't, they, they sell it as something new. Or something less than, like, it's not double ganger, it's doppelganger. It's not King Julius, it's Julius, you know, like. It makes you wonder if that rumor is true. Um, what the difference is then between green and green and very green? What's the difference? There has to be. Or else we what? all want to know. And don't half of their beers, they don't even tell you what hops are in them, do they? You no, know, I know, I, I know a lot to. of. They what? They used to. They used to, okay. They don't as much anymore. No. It's like like a trade secret. It's, you know, what's left over? What can we blend? And I'm all for experimenting and just give us, give us great beer. That's what we want. Well, I, and I, beer. I think like, like going with the adjunct theme, like adding fruit flavor to an IPA, like especially a New England style IPA, like even five or six years ago, I, I think a lot of people like us would be like, well, like that's like you're, defeating the whole purpose of that beer it's like you're supposed to like develop these fruit flavors through like like artfully introducing hops late in the in the brew or whatever like whatever you do like i'm not a brewer right like like you're creating art with it and and i think something that i like about just the style in general is the style is literally all about breaking the rules so like i think when people are adding these adjuncts like I don't mind it because if it makes a beer that's more drinkable for me, like I'm all for it. Like I don't mind it either. It just brings up the hypocrisy of, well, why are you trashing a lining Kugel Shandy then? Right. What's, and what at that point, what's the, what's the difference? And I know that was, you know, in that article we all just read, but like, you, know, <laughs> what, you know, but we've said it before too. What is the difference at that point? What's, and also don't, you know, take a sniff of the foam and you know figure out what flavors are on the nose and tell me it's mango yeah it, there's mango juice in it it's yeah. literally <laughs> fermented on mangoes of course it's going to smell like mangoes it's not this revolutionary idea that they took a 
citra hop and got a flavor that nobody had ever gotten from a citra hop before. It's Since that you added fruit. Since we're giving shit to people uh, for tasting notes, can we just talk about how like how important yet ludicrous tasting notes are? Like for people like us, and I and I'm the worst at it. Like if you met me in 2015 or 2016, I like uh, I sniffed my own ass like you would not believe off of these tasting notes. I'd be like, mm, I'm just getting this and that, and it's just. I don't know where it came from, but now I see it and I'm like, okay, yeah. Uh, but don't tell me them. Our thoughts don't matter. And, uh, and don't tell me it's smooth. Please to God. Don't tell me it's smooth. Smooth is a bad adjective, but it I will. The yeah. Worst tasting note. I will give you a positive a outlook, note. a positive outlook on tasting notes though. It's like, Me, it's like, it's like uh, describing a great piece of music to someone like, like it, you can't describe how it sounds or how it tastes. So you use all these earthly words. And yeah, the pro- the biggest problem with craft beer is that everyone's using the same fucking words, which was like, that's why whenever we're like giving tasting notes to, to each other and you're like, and you're like, that tastes like, like a, like a crunchy leaf on an autumn day. Like something like that is a good tasting note because like yeah. it's, because no. it's very specific. You're right, and I need to be less negative about this, and I need to be less negative about all of this is what I'm learning from talking to you. It's very positive. (laughs) Here's the thing. Every once in a while, you'll have, like, this mind-blowing thought. Like, I had a beer from a local brewery, and, like, I tasted it, and I was like, this is a chive cream cheese bagel. Okay? (laughs) Right. That's a beautiful taste. I had an IPA that tasted like a chive cream cheese bagel, and it was this mind-blowing, like, uh, realization okay in that case i love it but i agree with you it's when it comes down to those same like you know it's resonance it's viscous it's it's herbaceous it's 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 farty it's and i actually kind of like farty like if you're gonna tell me it's farty go for it but, it's more descriptive than smooth so i guess i just don't want to hear smooth don't fucking tell me that a beer is smooth i get it but not only in kind of the opposite of smooth now, uh, one of my favorite things to do whenever, um, you know, when we get together or, you know, I just see a new beer and I love to read the comments on untapped. Um, <laughs> and just because it's a combination of like, especially if it's this super hyped up beer, that's actually really bad. Um, but nobody is the, nobody's is capable of even saying that on untapped because they just wait in line for it for two hours. So, you know, they wait in line. The first person that gets to log in on untapped, they take their picture, they get the pour in the tap room, they get the full allotment of cans and then they rate it. And they say, you know, pretty boozy, some serious hop burn 4.75 out of five. (laughs) <laughs> yeah like that sounds like a horrible that, experience you just it's, had yeah it's, it sounds like, two, like a 2.5 out of 5 yeah and, and this is five out of five. and there's this weird and I know we've been over this before there's this weird inflation especially for the New England IPA on untapped where really we don't we don't rate it on a 0 to 5 scale it's like a 3.5 to 5 scale it's right. like a New England IPA can never go below three and a half, or at least couldn't for a very long time from at least, you know, according to the majority of drinkers, well, uh, those you know, for those tree house why, beers. Why do we do that? Why do we, why do we not use? Because waiting in line is worth for 3.5 stars. Apparently you just, so. because you wait in line, you start off, you start off with a three. You get, and yeah. anything above that, that's your, 
<laughs> that's your rating scale. I think that's I think that's how it works. If you're that's using, how it appears to work at least. If you're using the words booziness and hotburn and you're rating the beer a four point seven out of five, you are the person that rated your adult circumcision a <laughs> nine out of ten. Like you are a complete moron. Like there's nothing good about booziness in like Almost any beer I can think of, unless it's like a bourbon barrel aged stout, which we can talk about. It's a different kind of boozy too. It's it's but, you know it's actual this strong, uh, you know, liquor where it's it's not a beer. You shouldn't be clearly there's a lot of guys alcohol. who are really happy with their circumcisions because it's comment <laughs> after comment after comment after comment after comment after five after five after four point seven five after four point five, and that's the variance on these rare beers, and it's it's. It's it's crazy to me that this that this is where it's come. You know that we hide behind words that make no sense to how we're actually feeling, and, and use that as justification just because it, it comes from a brewery of high esteem or it is a beer that was small batch. Right. I just I, I just think you can't get this kind of growth in an industry without having like a uh, like a severe. Um, I don't know what the word is, but basically like there's like this disconnect of people who are like people who are more like us who like, like, you know, we'll do tasting notes, but we think they're stupid. Like we'll do, we'll like drink a, a, a quadruple IPA knowing it's ridiculous, but we'll find the good in it. But then you also have these people who think that a quadruple IPA is like going to be better than a perfectly crafted double IPA. It's crazy because like a triple IPA probably shouldn't even exist. And we decide no. to go to quadruple. It's, it's, it's so disgusting. Close. No rules. They're never no good. Rules. They're and, very rarely good. And it's not, it's not about following the rules for me. It's just, it stopped tasting good. I thought, Oh yeah. You know, I think, I think that's where the, the craze kind of lost me where it's and it goes into the adjuncts and, you know, yeah, if it tastes good, great. And I think, you know, I was kind of turned off by all the, you know, those tasting notes too, which like, I hate to say that I'm influenced by that, but you know, when you're smelling a beer and it, you're telling me it smells just like jackfruit and it's because there's jackfruit in there, I'm not impressed and I don't want to hear it, but you know, and then similar to that though, there's, you know, I, I think it's time to bring up the milkshake IPA. Oh, uh, yes. In in all honesty, the first handful I had, I don't know if Tired Hands started this, but they were the first handful that I had. And the first few were unbelievable, like really, really good. And when you tell me that this double vanilla milkshake IPA tastes literally just like, in in the best way possible, a vanilla milkshake and an IPA, um, it's really, really mind-blowing. And... That has turned into like the next thing, though, where every brewery needs a lactose IPA. And not only that, we're going to also add lactose to all our stouts, too, and everything else. It's because- important to give credit where credit's due. It was uh, the, the original milkshakes with, from Tired Hands were collaborations with Omnipollo. Oh, of course. Ooh. Right. Uh, um, and just, just side note, Omnipollo is. I like them. I like them. So a lot. cool. They're really cool. Like, they're a brewery that does really weird shit, and I just, I just like it all. And even if some of them don't hit home for some reason, I just accept it because I feel like they're willing to push the envelope. And and this could just be my perception of them, but no, they're willing to push the envelope in a way that's not 
as obnoxious as, you know, putting fried chicken in an IPA, like the, uh, <laughs> what was that? Uh, Thanks to the Veil. The Veil and uh, was it Evil Twin collab? Uh, I'm not I sure. Think, I think e- Evil Twin can do, they can do no wrong. I'm sorry. I love Depends them. on who you talk to. <laughs> I'm sure it does. But No, I agree on Omnipoyo. It's, it's because the, what they do is they stand behind it in a genuine way. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone else is just like, I'm going to shapeshift to make money. But I want to make it seem like I'm innovative when like, they actually just do whatever the heck they want, and they've been doing it for longer than anyone else. Like they've been so, uh, just just to you know fact check myself. Um, the fried fried chicken chicken was a, a Vale IPA uh, collab with Evil Twin, and nice. one of my <laughs> friends has checked it in on Untapped and gave it a four two five. Tony, jeez, three years ago, three years ago. Thank so. you so much for that. <laughs> Um, chicken grease everyone that I'm talking crap about in this episode I was and probably also a vegetarian at the time I am still a little bit yeah that's true I want to get I, I went against my morals for beer guys dude you had chicken grease without me knowing about it yeah I'm just, <laughs> you know, I have no scruples I'm just Damn, a disaster. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the exact disaster we have been talking crap about this entire time we are describing me in a nutshell but I've evolved no, I think we've all we've all evolved. We've, like, we were all there. That's yeah, all there. I was I just mean, the worst. That was the chest beating. We know. Like, <laughs> but no, because we always would look up, not look up, but look at the other, um, you know, the other neck beards in the treehouse line and, and listen in on their conversations. Hundred um, percent. And you know, really just be left speechless a lot of times for the, <laughs> for the, the commentary that surrounds a lot of the beer. And, and I don't even know in what way, but you know, like when you're, I remember there was one day off I had from work. I think it was my birthday actually. And of course, Treehouse dropped, uh, um, I think it was bright with galaxy. And I was like, Oh shit, I guess I'm getting in the car and going to Treehouse. house. <laughs> in line for two hours. And the guy in front of me had, he's like, yeah, fourth time this week. And I'm like, what? And he bought a case of Julius. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's from like New Jersey. Yeah. But actually, but literally he literally. had driven up, uh, it was a beer occasion, uh, and him and his buddy drove up from, I think it was, it might've been Virginia. Actually. I could be wrong. I oh don't remember. God. It was a long way. And yeah, and they just went to Treehouse every single day. Like if if I could get back every hour that I've spent in line at Treehouse, I could probably like like win a Nobel Peace Prize. Like if I really tried to, and not it wouldn't happen. But if I tried, maybe. I kind of feel bad right now for Treehouse just because we're using them as an example a lot, and, and we honestly, love them. I, I love Treehouse so yes. much, and honestly, I just can't wait until you know this pandemic's over and go back go, because it's one of the most beautiful breweries in the yeah. world and yeah. just have an amazing juicy IPA just have an the, amazing Julius with peach yeah <laughs> and like and still get it even though we're talking crap about it now because it's that good it, it really is though and just sit on that back patio and, and watch the sunset at treehouse there is oh. something magical about that place there it's really is and and, and, and and it's important that you said that Tom thank you for for, for that distinction because like Yes, we have used them negatively and we've used their customer base negatively and we've talked a lot of shit in this episode. I get it. But 
We're also talking about ourselves with the customer base. So it's okay. Is that really, we're just kind of reminiscing about our own bad behavior or perceived right. bad behavior in retrospect. So that's true. If, if, you know, the breweries that I actually want to talk trash about, I won't actually. So, you know, Same. I will for you in the next episode. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm sure oh, we'll get gosh. there. So should we take a, should we have a little palate cleanser boys? Yeah, let's do a little palate cleanser. Time for a okay. time for Pilsner of our okay. in between our IPAs. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Take a little bit of a break. Have ourselves a nice little Pilsner. Uh, we're going to talk about trending beers this week. Oh boy! Oh, let's oh, see what's boy. trending. What's trending over here on BeerAdvocate.com? Um, first up, we have uh, Triple Hopped Lager from Bitburger Brewery. <laughs> Why is a lager triple hopped? And, and, you know, this is just going off of what we just talked about with hops and a Pilsner. But, okay. and, you okay. know, I love Jack's Abbey's, uh, their lagers, the IPLs. Um, but why are we triple hopping a lager now? This is a, trip, this is a triple IPL. Just throwing that out there for, for its description. But interestingly enough, it's only got 5.8%. So, uh, interesting. Uh, number two is Voodoo Ranger 1985 IPA from New Belgium Brewing Company. Uh, number three, this is an interesting one. King Sue from Toppling Goliath. Crazy Good that that's still, um, you, you know, still up there. I, I know when it, it kind of, at least locally, surged in on the local uh, trending beers, it was a lot of Toppling Goliath was up there for a while because it was a big deal when they started distroing yeah. out here. But uh, yeah. for King Sue, you know, good for them. Is that is that considered a, a New England IPA or is that just a regular IPA? It is it's considered a it's considered a New England IPA. Okay. Uh, Jesus, Buena Vesa Salt and Lime Lager from Storm Brewing. Ooh. Sounds pretty good. Uh, number five is Force of Will by Treehouse Brewing Co. What the hell is Force of Will? I've never uh, heard never of had it. it. Looks never like a double it. IPA. Uh, never had it. Oh yeah, an, an Imperial Double. Uh, Hetty Topper, number six. Look at that. Our, uh, Un- our unreal. Beer. Yeah. Uh, number seven, uh, Unraveled IPA from Founders Brewing. Uh, okay. Number eight, Super Session number four, Centennial. Nice. From our, our, our guys, uh, Lost and Spines. Centennial, Fires. getting some love. Interesting. Yeah, nice to see. Nice to see. I love those sea hops. Classic American. Columbus. Uh, okay, uh, the Masagave grapefruit from Founders Brewing Company, which Ooh, is a Founders Goza, with a ten percent Goza, which uh, sounds like a good time. That sounds Big interesting. Founders, yeah, Founders, is, Founders doesn't get enough love. Um, all day IPA tonight, boys. It's they're, are they AB Bev? They are right. No, I don't think no. So. They're their own. Uh, they're their oh. own brewing. Oh, yeah. well, excuse me. They ran into some trouble in the past yeah. year. Uh, that was I hesitated after uh, I said uh, in terms of their beer at least I, I forget to be honest there in terms well, of their beer bad. I agree in terms of some of their hiring practices slash uh, other other things yeah. uh, number 10 incessant from Bell's Brewery uh, eccentric cafe and general store interesting which is a, an 8.5% New England IPA uh, Scorpius Morcello. Wait, which is wait, Bell's? Bell's, Bell's yes, doing a New England IPA? They made a, they made a, wow. a, a, a New England. Uh, Scorpius Morcello from Toppling Goliath. It's a uh, New England IPA. 
Uh, Pliny for president. Interesting. Uh, a new beer from Russian River, which is a double IPA at 8%. Uh, I'm gonna Pliny? Start yeah, Pliny. Who's that? The granddaddy beer, Pliny the, Pliny the Elder. I have not. I'm getting it. Pliny the Younger. And yeah, now Pliny for president. Yeah, wow. now Pliny for president. Good for them. It has a 4.62 rating on Beer Advocate, by the way. Uh, Four Giants by Founders Brewing. It's a double uh, IPA at 9.2%. Uh, Tiki Escape IPA, which is an American IPA from Storm Brewing, coming in at 7.7%. And then last one I'm going to read for now, just because I can continue going on forever, <laughs> is the Fantastic Haze. Uh, New England IPA from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company at 9%. How nice. It's Classic. super interesting to me that a lot of these, and of course, you know, a lot of New England IPAs here. And for a while, it was, like I said, when it comes to the local, we would have, you know, the tree houses and the trilliums around here. And of course, everything locally trending is a New England IPA. But it's funny now to see some of the more um, mass, not quite mass produced, but kind of mass produced craft breweries like the stones and um the sierra nevadas and you know you can get them everywhere and i think that just kind of shows how much of a movement the new england ipa is where these probably aren't anything like treehouse um but it's what people want and it's climbing up the charts you know even these has a huge market share because none of those breweries you just named are in new england no they're sparse throughout the country except for the alchemist Yes, the Alchemist. Of course, Vermont. I went. I went to a handful of breweries in San Diego, and I could not believe how many breweries had almost half of their tap boards filled with New England IPAs. And I'm not exaggerating. Like, um, whether they were collaborations or like like even their own take on New England style IPAs, I would say I would say a good thirty to fifty percent of every beer. In California breweries, when I went six months ago, were California. I mean, uh, New England IPAs, which is that's wild. Yeah, it's wild. it really is. It's it's crazy. Also, just thinking about how it's pushed so much towards that, and then even in New England, I I think back because um, I went to Portland right before you know COVID happened, um, and I think you know, about two years prior to that, I had gone and the brewery that sticks out to me is, is Bissell Brothers. The first time I went, um, I think there was like one IPA on and it was super refreshing and not the IPA itself, but just the fact that there was such a great variety. Um, and then, you know, when I went same place and it could have just been my luck, but it was like 90% IPAs available. And that's probably an exaggeration. It was probably less than that, but that's what it felt like. Yeah. And it's just really taken over, taken over everywhere. And of course that's in new England. So they're kind of allowed to do that. But um, you know, I like, I like that variety. I don't want to lose it. And that's, what's scary is that because these, you know, and I was reading in an article that 80 uh, for a lot of breweries, 80% of their money that's coming in is from new England IPAs. It just, it it scares you when you think about that much of your, of your own market share as a brewery uh, at all different levels goes towards this, you know, specific brew type because that's how popular it is in the country and in the, and in the world. Um, well, maybe not. I don't know. But I, I think it's interesting, you know, as Tom's saying, like, I, I want variety too. Like, sometimes I just want to go and have a light beer. Sometimes yeah. I want to go and have something European just so I can have, like, you know, a, a more herbaceous and earthy <laughs> type of experience, you know? Like, and, you know, to get the badge on untapped. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Thanks for exploiting me. <laughs> Speaking of like, sorry, you didn't exploit anything, but you could if you wanted to. <laughs> Wink. Yeah, I feel the same way. Speaking of like COVID, though, it's like it's funny. Like for our first episode, talking about New England IPAs, COVID is literally the worst thing that could have happened to the beer industry if they're relying that heavily on a beer that has a limited shelf life. Like you, you got to think that breweries poured at least millions down the drain. It's crazy because my initial thought when this hit and, you know, all the social distancing and restrictions and everything's closed was that this was what I thought going to be the accelerant of the closing of a lot of craft breweries. And it still could be. Um, But I think in my initial thought was that we're going to see a lot of those smaller places that are more dependent on really the taproom traffic and taproom experience, they would be the ones falling off of course, because they don't either don't can yet or don't really just don't can yet. Because if you don't can, you know, you I don't, I don't know if you can do growlers, but who's going to go get a growler right now. You can't get draft at a restaurant because restaurants aren't open or at least weren't for a very long time and are in a limited capacity now. So really what, I thought it was going to be the nail in the coffin for a lot of breweries, but and I, it very much could be still. But at the same time, everything I'm hearing from people I, you know, know back where I used to work, and you know that it's it, they were making more beer than they had when you know it was normal, which is it, insane. It, it certainly brought about like a bunch of like ingenuity into the scene of like, how do we get our beer to our consumer base? And that's been interesting to watch, you know, like delivery services, takeout services, um, contactless pickup. Yeah. 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 And and like, you know, everyone just all of a sudden, like, okay, now we're going to have a web presence. We're going to have an online way of like ordering what you need, you know, like it's, it's interesting to say, cause like, you know, when it first happened and everything was closing and tap rooms couldn't be opened, I had the same thought. And I was hearing from some, I forget the brewery. It was in, um, it was in Rhode Island and they were talking about how like, you know, they're doomed because, you know, the bottle shops are closed and they're in distro. Um, their tap room is closed, you know, and, and because of that, the restaurants also closed that's within the tap room, you know, because a lot mm-hmm. of these the, multiple businesses cohabitate, breweries these days you know and it's affecting the food trucks and and so it's just been very interesting to see how how because i had that exact thought tom that this was going to be the end of a lot of breweries but honestly i haven't heard of many shutting down if any in our region yeah neither have i and that could just be you know not having my ear to the floor is that the saying ear to the floor i don't know ear to the ground that's what i'm looking for and but yeah i haven't heard anything either and um you know i think to a certain extent if you think about it, the New England IPA in a way is kind of sustainable in the sense where if you're a small brewery, unfortunately, you know, which is really the one of the worst parts about this all, there's a lot of employees that are suffering the most and out of, out of work right now, which is awful. Um, from the brewery's perspective, you know, to survive, they're going to have to one, probably lay off most of their employees. Um, but really as long as they have cold room storage, those hops can last for years. So, you know, they could still have those hop contracts. And so, you know, there's a lot to think about in the sustainability of, of that, where 
you know, maybe they can just pause and the turnover is so quick that, you know, the first two weeks, yeah, maybe you package and somehow get those last few canning runs out and, um, you know, then just put a pause on society like everybody else has had to. So I mean, I mean who I knows? Got, I got to say like for the beer industry has been a lot more resilient than I thought. Like, like if, if someone told me that like our local brewery, would be shut down and would be basically asked to sustain themselves off of making hand sanitizer for like a month. Yeah. I would have laughed. I would have laughed and said like, that's a, that's literally impossible. I mean, you, you couldn't really envision this scenario in any industry like a couple months ago. So it is, it is amazing. And I, and like, like you kind of said, like, I don't think it's all over yet. I, I think there will be some that kind of have to bite the bullet and just go under, but that's, I would be surprised. I would be surprised if like five to 10% of breweries didn't have to shut their doors because the economy is like shit right now. And while it's being propped up and made to look good by like a lot of external factors, like, small breweries are small businesses and small businesses get Taking big the hardest. right now. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it, I lost my train of thought. But a, um, but a point to all of this is that like, even though these are small businesses, the, the, the alcohol, um, industry in general, industry in general, like right now <laughs> has exploded like during COVID because in tough times, people want to drink. <laughs> People just need to like to deal yeah. with it to cope with the fact that they've been inside to cope with the fact that everything just kind of feels overall shitty. So I think that's the fuel that's like helped a lot of these folks survive. But I don't know how long that will last. So you're right. I mean, and 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 the folks that have been impacted besides the businesses are those who help run those businesses. The the folks who work, the folks who who drive trucks for distribution. Right. You know. Yeah. The folks Packaging techs, all of that, yeah. Techs, everyone, you know, servers, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, boys. So, final thoughts on the New England yeah. IPA. You know, asking ourselves again, where do we go wrong? Did we go wrong? I mean, I, I don't think. I think, being a positive person, I think the New England IPA basically like transformed the craft beer industry and like like the reason we're having this conversation is probably because of the new england ipa i'm drinking a new england ipa i will probably drink more of them this weekend like i don't know i just i have nothing but respect for like the story of it how it's all it just seems like a crazy uh series of happy accidents and i obviously enjoy the style so i mean i just think it's like i think it's an amazing story that I really didn't know before all before our conversation and before leading up to our conversation. I think that, uh, and and I agree. And, you know, I'm pretty cynical with this, um, with beer culture and, you know, what we do and what at least I do in beer culture and what a lot of people do in society is let the loudest people kind of dictate everybody's experience, which is shitty. And I wish was, easier to ignore um but i think really at the root of it it's propelled the beer industry really really far at least in our area and 
more than that, it has brought people together. And, you know, we do have our, our beer shares. And, you know, I think it, it kind of extends far past beer, the positive effects of it. And, you know, for, for one style of beer to be able to do that, I think is, is pretty amazing. And, you know, when it actually comes to the actual beer, it's, it's been a roller coaster for sure. Um, but, you know, that first time you crack a green from Treehouse and you take your first sip, it's tough to ever, you, you could give me a bad IPA for the rest of my life and I will still love it because of that experience. And, you know, we all have the bad experiences, but I think the good at the end of the day outweigh the bad. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you guys. I think you kind of said it perfectly. Um, it's really easy to get boggled down with all the negatives, you know, and we certainly have through our conversations. There are certainly things that, you know, when we look at them in hindsight, they rubbed us the wrong way or, or we felt that they were done in poor taste, but that's again coming through our own lens, which may be cynical and it may be worthwhile to question why it may be worthwhile to question why we've turned cynical on it. And is that just a part of this whole cycle of falling in love with something, engaging with it fully uh, with a lot of time and a lot of money spent and then kind of coming to this conclusion where you can't keep up with it for whatever reason, whether that's due to your job, finances, just needing to take a break from alcohol or anything in general. And then you're kind of in this breakup period. Have I turned sour? Have some of us turned sour because we're in that breakup period and we're no longer part of, of the beauty uh, and the art of of these beers that are being made um it could be it could be but i think there's so much positivity to come from individual people claiming stake in this big culture that they could have have, uh, never done before and and knowing that someone who just loves to brew beer can open a brewery and make a new england ipa and have people say you know what that tastes really good that's special Things that are undeniably good are are things that the world needs. And ultimately, the New England IPA is undeniably good and delicious. Yes. We wouldn't we wouldn't have this podcast if we didn't love it. I mean, we, if we yeah. just hated New England IPAs, we wouldn't. We would just be like, "Oh, that was gross," and would move on with our lives. But we love it. We would have we love it through a, thick and thin. So we would have a lot fewer memorable nights of drinking beers. That like literally like beer shares are some of the most memorable nights. Agreed. Absolutely. And you can tie them just to be specific beers or moments or whatever. No, it's, it's brought us together. So ultimately how can we say that it went wrong when it brought the three of us to be closer as friends and as people. And that's, that's what's, that's what it's all about, baby. Beer culture is human culture. Yes. And with that concludes episode one of the canning run podcast (laughs) (laughs) of the canning run podcast thank you for checking out the very first episode of the canning run podcast we will be back next week with some more hot takes on beer so stay tuned cheers cheers